0: Welcome to Sleepy Time Travels. The trickster figures in mythologies around the world. Growing up in the Southwest U.S., I have always loved Coyote Tales. He figures in the stories of many Native American cultures and is often powerful, sometimes funny, and always wise and functions as a counselor for the other animal peoples. He's more like Bugs Bunny than Wiley e. Coyote if we look to our pop culture mythology. This episode's selection of tales is from a beautiful book called In the Reign of Coyote by Catherine Chandler, originally published in 1905. My name is Russell Stamets. Some people like to fall asleep to the audiobooks I narrate. Most of these texts. Come from the dusty, forgotten world of the public domain. If you'd like to hear more of the audiobooks I sample on the podcast, or check out the rest of my catalog, search Russell Stamets on Audible or iTunes. I'll include links to the audiobooks and the Kindle and print editions in the episode description. If this is something you enjoy listening to, besides buying the books, you can support me by rating the podcast, following, or subscribing. Now, it's time to get comfortable, settle back, relax, and listen. The Frog and the Coyote When Doña Juanita was a tiny girl like you, Mabel, and Don Antonio was a little boy like you, Joe, they lived on a large ranch across the bay from San Francisco. They had no school to attend and they saw other white children only at Christmas, or Easter, or St. Francis Day, or some other such great feast time. They had their lessons, of course, book lessons, which were not long enough to weary them, riding lessons, which carried them over the hills many hours a day, and music lessons, which consisted in practicing guitar and violin accompaniments to the sweet old Spanish songs. In addition, Juanita was taught all kinds of needlework, from plain hemming to the finest embroidery. As for amusements, they played dancing games with each other and with the children of the Indian servants, and they listened to the stories that Tecla, their nurse, old Klayukat, the saddler, and Wantasen, the blacksmith, delighted to tell. There was a rivalry among these three storytellers, for they came from different tribes, and the legends of their people were not the same. Tecla was from Baja, or Lower California, where Juanita and Antonio's mother had once lived. Old Cliocat's tribal home was to the far north, at Puget Sound. He had been brought down by a king's vessel and given into the charge of the Padres at the mission of San Francisco de Assisi. There he had become a Christian and had been taught the saddler's trade. He had been employed by the children's grandfather ever since their father was a little boy. Juan Tassin was from Alta, California, which is the California that now belongs to the United States. Before he had become Christianized at the missions, he had wandered about and, and so new stories from the different tribes of the country. To Anita and Antonio, it mattered little from which places the stories came, whether from the northern Oregon country Baja California, or their own Alta California. All the tales were fascinating to them, and they were always eager to do any favor for Wantasen, Clayacat, or Tekla, in the hope of winning a story in return. One hot day the children in Tekla were lying under the big oak tree by the spring, when they saw a small green frog hop among the little yellow waterflowers, which we call brass buttons, Did I ever tell you the story of the frog and the coyote? asked Tecla. Oh, no, please tell it now, and Juanita clapped her hands. Do tell it, my good Tecla, added Antonio. Spanish Californian children were trained to be always polite to their elders, no matter what social position these occupied. Well, sit still, thou restless Nita, and I will tell it as my godfather told it to me. One day the coyote found a frog in the road and said, "'Now I shall eat you up.' The frog replied, "'Oh, don't eat me today, Brother Coyote. Let us run a race tomorrow, and if you win, then you may eat me.' The coyote said, "'All right.' Then the frog went to see his frog friends and said, "'I'm going to run a race with the coyote tomorrow, from the spring to the elder tree and back, and if he wins, he is to eat me.' "'Ha-ha!' "'Of course he will win,' laughed his friends. "'Not if you will help me, as friends should,' said the frog. "'One of you go to the turning stake, "'and when you see the coyote coming, "'give three jumps to show him that you are ahead. "'I will stay near the home stake "'and jump in ahead of him when he is coming back.' "'The frog's friends agreed to help him. "'The next day the coyote came to run the race. "'The frog was there, and at the appointed time they both started.' but the frog gave only three jumps and then lay down on the grass to rest. The coyote ran very fast, and as he did not see the frog, he thought him far behind. As he neared the turning post, he saw the frog jump three times in front of him. Oh, this is strange, said the coyote. I did not see you pass me, but I will beat you home. He ran as fast as he could, but when he came in sight of the homestake, there was the frog making the last three jumps. Then the coyote ran away in disgust. The frog was not a gentleman, commented Antonio, for he was acting a lie. Your senora madre calls, said Tecla. We must go to her. God willing, tomorrow I will tell you about another frog. And he was not a gentleman either. The Creation of the World Later that afternoon, Antonio wandered to the blacksmith's shop. Wantasen was hammering a wheel tire into shape. Well, young Antonio, have you minded the heat this day? He inquired, as he wiped his forehead with his sleeve. Oh no, Wantasen, we have been down by the spring, where it is always cool, and Tecla told us a new story. It was about the frog that raced the coyote and won the race by acting a lie. Ugh! That woman Tecla does not get her story straight. How could a frog lie to Coyote? Coyote would know it. Why, Coyote is the most cunning of all the animals. And all the other animals know it. If it hadn't been for Coyote, there wouldn't be any other animals, or any world, or any you, or any me, or any Tecla, to tell such false stories. Now would there, young Antonio? Wouldn't there be anything without Coyote, one tossin No, nothing, not even that sunflower against the fence. You know Coyote made the world, don't you? Coyote? Into Antonio's mind flashed the words he had learned in his catechism. God made the world. But his desire for the story brushed them aside for the moment. Will you tell me how he made it, Tontasen? Yes, wait until I put this tire to cool. Then I will rest a while and tell it to you. Antonio made a trumpet of his hands and shouted, Nida, Nida, come here. Juan Tassin will tell us a story. Juanita came hurrying, and soon the children were sitting in the shadow in front of the smithy, listening to Juan Tassin's story. In the beginning of things, it was all dark and still. There was no wind, and neither was there any rain. There was no world as we see it today. All was water, except for one little point of rock. On this rock lived Coyote and Eagle, and they were the only living things in the world. Coyote lay on the rock thinking. After a long time, he said to Eagle, Sister Eagle, go to the edge of the rock and watch to see if anything happens. In a little while, Eagle called out, O oh, brother Coyote, far to the north, I see a tree rising out of the water. Very good, answered Coyote. That tree shall be the ashy and all people shall esteem it for all time. Watch again, Sister Eagle, and see what now happens. After a time Eagle again raised her voice. Look to the south, Brother Coyote. There is another tree peeping up out of the water. Very good, answered Coyote. That tree shall be the cedar. Throughout all ages all people shall delight in its breath. Watch again, Sister Eagle, and see what next appears. Presently, Eagle announced, Look to the southwest, Brother Coyote. Something strange and red comes out of the water there. Ah, exclaimed Coyote, that must be land. He rose to his feet and gazed toward the southwest. A red mass was slowly approaching the place where he stood. It floated up until it touched the point of rock. It was land, but it was shaking like a jellyfish. Coyote pressed it with his paws to study it. WHEN IT HAD BECOME SOLID AND STILL, HE LOOKED OVER IT. THIS IS NOT ENOUGH LAND, HE MUTTERED. WE MUST HAVE MORE. HE PICKED UP THREE PIECES OF ROCK AND TWO CLUMPS OF EARTH. HE THREW ONE PIECE OF ROCK AND THEN LISTENED AS IT SANK DOWN, DOWN, INTO THE DEPTHS OF THE WATER. HE THREW A SECOND PIECE OF ROCK AND AGAIN LISTENED AS IT WENT DOWN, THROUGH THE WATER, AND STRUCK THE FIRST ROCK, LYING ON THE BOTTOM. VERY GOOD, HE LAUGHED. NOW, THIRD ROCK. "'Go and rest upon the other two. "'He threw the third rock and listened as it sank down, "'down through the water and settled on top of the second rock. "'Then he threw in the two clumps of earth, one at a time, "'and when the last struck the water, land appeared at the surface. "'Then the water began to dash in great waves "'and to embrace the land and to withdraw from it. "'Very good,' said Coyote.' Thus shall the water always act, and people for all time shall call its movements the tides. That is why we have tides today, because Coyote said it should be so. Coyote looked over the land and saw great dents on its surface. Those do not please me, he said. They mean sickness. Water, come up and cover the land again. The water swirled and hurled itself all over the land. Then Coyote blew softly saying the while, land, come up again. The land returned. It still had great dents on its surface. What? Still sickness, exclaimed Coyote. This must not be. Water, cover over the land again. Again the water swirled and whirled and covered the land. Once more Coyote blew softly on it and said, land, come up again. The land reappeared, but again its surface had dents upon it. Sickness yet, and Coyote became angry. Sickness shall not remain upon the land. Water, cover over the land again. The water did as it was bidden, but when Coyote called up the land again, its surface was dented as before. He ordered it under water once more, but for the fifth time it remained unchanged. Then indeed, Coyote's anger was great. I will try no more, he cried. As the land has chosen sickness, sickness it shall have for all time. That is why we have sickness today, because Coyote said it should be so. When Eagle looked over the land and saw that it was flat, she said, There was no place for me to perch. That is easily changed, replied Coyote, and he rounded up some little hills. Huh? Those are only footstools, objected Eagle. I must have lofty cliffs from my perch. Well then, Sister Eagle, make better ones to suit yourself, returned Coyote. Thank you, I will, answered Eagle, and she set to work. She dug her claws into the earth and scratched up some mountains. As she worked hard over the task, some of her feathers fell out and rooted in the earth. The long feathers became trees, pines, firs, redwoods, and the other tall trees. The pine feathers grew into manzanita and coffee and chaparral and similar shrubs, while the down from her breast brought forth poppies and baby blue eyes and buttercups and all the little flowering plants. Very good, said Coyote. Then he took two hairs from his body, one he threw into the water, and the other upon the land. They both wriggled about and writhed themselves out into two great serpents. The one in the water coiled itself around the land five times so as to hold the earth together. The land serpent twisted itself up into one of those dents which Coyote could not remove and breathed out storms through its fiery nostrils. Then Coyote pulled out two other hairs from his body and threw them upon the land they bunched themselves into a roll and then waggled themselves into two dogs. After that, Coyote made grizzly, cougar, antelope, beaver, and all the other animals. He made that day two of every kind of animal that is now on the earth, and everything he said that day still holds as a law. We still have earth on the top of the land and rock underneath, because Coyote threw the rocks into the water first, and then the earth. All of Coyote's laws still hold today. And if there hadn't been any dents, Juan Tasson, wouldn't we have the measles and have to drink tansy tea? A recent siege was fresh in Juanita's memory. But what made the dents, Juan Tasson interrupted Antonio. What made them when Coyote didn't want them? You ask too many questions, young Antonio. Look at the dents in that wheel tire. They came there, and I didn't want them. I've got to heat it again and straighten those out. And not another word could the children win from him that afternoon. How the Animals Secured Light After breakfast the next morning, Antonio and Juanita were each given two nectarines to eat in the garden. Let's eat only one ourselves and take the others to Wantassen, suggested Antonio. He didn't feel well yesterday afternoon. Let's agreed Juanita. Then perhaps he'll become good natured and tell us another story. Well, don't ask any questions at the end and make him cross again. Don't ask questions yourself. Your question was what made him angry, but it was what you said that made me think of the dents. Shh, Wontasen will hear us. As they were talking, they had skipped across the quadrangle to the smithy. Good morning, Wuntassen. We brought you some nectarines, some that came from Santa Clara yesterday, said Juanita. No work could be so important as eating nectarines. Juan sat down in the sunny doorway to devour the fruit. The children stood in the shade inside. You like the bright sunshine, don't you, Juan volunteered Juanita. Yes, child, I like the sunshine. I get as much of it as I can, for I remember that once the earth had no sun and no light and I don't like to get into those ways. How did the earth get the sun? We should like to know about that, said Antonio. Yes, please tell us, added Juanita. It was because of Coyote. You will see that Coyote has much sense and is not easily fooled, as that woman Tecla tells you. Coyote is a very cunning animal. The children waited eagerly until Wantasen settled his shoulders against the door jamb and began his story. In the early days, the earth was trapped in darkness. The animals could not see more than a step in front of them. They were always bumping into each other, and they had bruises all over their bodies. Their limbs were growing stiff through lack of exercise. Yet no one dared to run for fear of colliding with some other animal. They just groped about with staring eyes, trying to see what was ahead of them. One day, Coyote was thinking hard as he walked and forgot to peer into the darkness. Suddenly his head banged into somebody moving fast toward him. He fell back and saw lights dancing up and down before his eyes. "Cahow!" came Hawk's voice. My head is split. Oh, this terrible darkness. I wish we had some way of seeing how to get about. Oh, my poor head is split. And my poor head too, rejoined Coyote. You're not hurt worse than I lights are dancing up and down before my eyes. Is that you, Coyote? You can't be hurt so much as I, for you are heavier. If you have lights dancing before you, why don't you catch them and hang them up to give us all light? The lights are gone now, answered Coyote, but your thought is a wise one. Let us see what we can do. He thought for a long time, then he said, wait here for me. He groped his way down to a swamp and gathered a bunch of dry tulus. He picked up a piece of flint and wrapped the tulas around it, making a ball. Then he groped his way back to the waiting hawk. Here, Sister Hawk, take this in your bill and fly as high as you can. When you are too tired to go further, give it a twist and throw it up higher. As you toss it, say, Give us light, O tulas. Deliver us from darkness, O flint. Then you may come back. All right answered Hawk, and she flew flew and flew and flew straight up into the darkness until her wings could not lift her body one stroke more. Then she gave the ball a twist and threw it above her. Give us light, O Tulas, deliver us from darkness, O Flint, she murmured in a faint voice. The ball spun upward. As it left her bill, it grew bright. It sent out more and more light as it sped until finally it became the great golden sun. Hawk's eyes were blinded. She drooped her head upon her breast and sank down to the earth. There the animals were all sitting, still, in amazement. They had covered their eyes with their paws. They did not know what to do. After a while, Coyote said, You grumbled over the darkness. Now I have given you light. We will call this light the sun. Henceforth no animal shall bump into his brother and you will no longer suffer from bruises. Turning to Hawk, Coyote continued, You have done well, Sister Hawk. Let us do more. Let us make another sun, that this sun can rest sometimes. All right, answered Hawk. Coyote ran to the swamp and hastily gathered an armful of tulas. He took a piece of flint for a center and wound the tulas into a ball. Then he sped back to Hawk. You need not fly so high this time, Sister Hawk but take it far enough away from the world so that it will not burn us. Very well, answered Hawk, and she flew and flew, straight up, until she was tired. Then she rested a moment. As she cast the ball from her, she murmured, Give us light, O Tulas, deliver us from darkness, O Flint. Now Coyote had hurried, so at the swamp the second time that he gathered damp Tulas. Therefore, this second ball did not give out a bright golden light as the other did but sent down pale silver rays. Coyote looked at it. It is not very bright, he muttered, but it will be better than the darkness. We will call it the moon, and it shall be in the sky to show us our way when the sun gets tired. I should think the moon, began Juanita, when Antonio raised his voice above hers with, That's a fine story, Juan Tussin. Coyote did have a lot of sense, didn't he? Yes, Coyote has sense, but you children must run away now. I must make another tire, or your Senor Padre will say that I don't work enough, as he did yesterday. Why the Mosquito Hates Smoke That same day, the children were passing the saddler's shop, where Clyucat sat on a whalebone by the door, braiding a lariat. As he answered their greeting, He raised his hand to kill a mosquito on his forehead. You vile mosquito, he exclaimed. I wish I could treat you as Coyote did, your ancestor. The children stopped short. How was that? What did Coyote do to the mosquito? Asked Antonio. Tecla told us about the cougar and the mosquito, interjected Juanita. But not about the coyote. Please tell us about it, Clayucat. Huh, Tecla. That woman does not know about coyote. I don't know what they have in her country. You ask Wontosan if coyote is not the most cunning of the animals. Wontosan has told us so, but he did not tell us about coyote and the mosquito. Please tell us that, Clayucat. And Antonio's voice dropped into its most pleading tones. Wait until I get some more leather, and then as I braid the lariat, I will tell you the story. The children seated themselves near his doorway. Soon he returned and sat down on his whalebone. Then he commenced his work and his story at the same time. In the long, long ago, Mosquito was larger than any man now alive. His bill was five feet long and ended in a strong, sharp point. He lived in a narrow canyon near a spring. When any animal came for water, Mosquito would rush out singing, now I'll suck you, suck, suck. He would stick his bill through the animal and drink every drop of blood in its body. So many did he kill that there was weeping in each animal home, and every family begged Coyote to find them relief. Coyote thought long and deep. Then he took his stone knife and five twigs, one of hazel, one of elder, one of apple, one of pine and one of oak. With these, he started to the canyon where lived Mosquito. As he approached the door, Mosquito buzzed out in a very annoying manner. Where are you going? This is my road. I don't allow anyone to pass. Before he could get his bill out of the house, Coyote answered in his polite way, My friend, I see that you are very cold and have no fire in your house. Let me make you a fire, so that you can warm yourself. Mosquito was feeling a little sluggish, and the ground looked damp, so he replied, Well, make a little fire, but don't be too long about it, or I might get hungry. Coyote took the hazel twig and broke it in two. He twirled the pieces together and twirled them again, but no blaze came. Bah! he exclaimed. Do you send all your heat into your nuts, foolish wood? and he threw the hazel aside. Next he took the elder twig and broke it in two. He twirled the pieces together long and rapidly, and yet no spark was emitted. Ah, he cried, do you send all your heat into your berries, foolish wood? And he cast the elder aside. Then he took the twig of crabapple and broke it in two. He twirled and twirled these pieces together, but they showed no sign of fire. Bah! he sneered, You send all your heat into your fruit, foolish wood. And he threw the crabapple aside. Then he took the pine and the oak and twirled them together. In a short time, a tiny flame burst forth, and soon Coyote had a big fire blazing right in front of Mosquito's door. Mosquito spread out his hands to warm himself and shut his eyes in enjoyment. Coyote threw an armful of rotten wood on the fire in order to smother the blaze with smoke. Then Coyote turned the smoke drift into Mosquito's face. Mosquito could not catch his breath and lay down on the ground. Coyote jumped on his head and cried, You shall not kill anymore. You have been a terror to everybody. But now your power is gone. I'm going to split your head open. From it shall come a tiny race. They may fly about people's faces and annoy them and take a little blood but never may they kill. With one tremendous stroke of a stone knife, Coyote cleft the giant's head. Out poured myriads of tiny buzzing creatures. They still exist today, always near some water. They still remember their great ancestor. They buzz around trying to threaten as he did. They suck blood from every animal, and recollecting how he met his death, they flee before a smoke. The children's attention to the story had been interrupted by the visitation of several mosquitoes. These are bad enough, exclaimed Antonio. What must such a big mosquito have been like? But, Clayacut, there is no water here, so why are there mosquitoes here? asked Juanita. Here at your senor padre's house there is no water, but over the hill is there not the Lagunita? There the mosquitoes breathe, and from there they come over the hill to bother us sinful mortals. Ugh, they are sent by the devil to try our souls, said Clayacut. And Clayacut slapped his head with his two hands. Are they all afraid of smoke, Clayacut? inquired Juanita. Every one of them will flee before smoke. They are all afraid of it, answered the old man. Then why don't we have a big fire and lots of smoke and keep them away all the time? asked Antonio. That, young Antonio, is for you to ask your senor padre. Let's go to him now, cried Juanita. Hurry, I hear these mosquitoes singing. I'll suck your blood. Suck, suck. Don't you hear them, Tonio? Oh, Tonio, let's run. And she led the race. The Fox and the Coyote One evening, the children were watching the full moon glide up into the sky. And were discussing whether or not it was made of green cheese. The coyote once got into trouble by thinking that the moon was cheese, said Tekla, in her slow, round tones. How was that, Tekla? Yes, Tekla, please tell us. Now is just the time for a story, and Juanita buried her head in Tekla's lap. Well, you have been good children today, so I will tell it. Sit down on the floor, Nita. You are too big a girl to need holding. Oh, Tekla and Juanita only snuggle closer. Well, keep still then. Don't wriggle, and I will tell you the story as my godfather told it to me. One night, the fox was standing near a pond, looking at the moon's reflection in the water. The coyote came up and said, Now I'm going to eat you. The fox said, Oh, don't eat me now, brother coyote there is a big piece of cheese in this pond. Help me drink up all the water, and then we shall share the cheese. The coyote looked at the reflection of the moon in the water and said, that is a fine piece of cheese. I will help you get it. So he drank until he felt tired, and still the pond seemed full. Oh, Brother Fox, my stomach aches. I can't drink any more. Well, you stay here, and I will run get some friends to help us drink up the water. And away the fox ran, and although the coyote waited for him all night, he never came back. Poor coyote, murmured Juanita. I don't believe coyote thought the moon was cheese, asserted Antonio. He'd know the difference. Wantasin says coyote made the moon. Yes, perhaps Wantasin does say so, but you ask your senora madre who made the moon. You children don't want to believe everything that these digger Indians tell you. Now Juanita grows heavy, and your Senora Madre calls. It is time for prayers. Yes, Senor, we come. And Tecla's voice glided up the scale as she led the children in. How the Animals Secured Salmon The next day Juanita said, When Clayacut told us about the robin and salmon Why didn't we ask him if he knew a story about the real salmon? Let's go and ask him now, though I don't see that a salmon could do much, living always in the water. But the Salmonberry children did much. Why not a salmon? Wilt thou ask him, Tonio? Yes, come along. And they walked across to the saddlery. About a salmon, well, I know how the animals first got salmon. Will that do? Yes, well, Sit on the hides, and I will tell you that story. In the olden times, there were a great many salmon in the sea, but none could get up the river. Five old beaver sisters built a dam at the mouth of the river and would not let them pass. The animals up the river were starving. They had eaten all the berries and nuts and roots of the past year, and there would be no more food for them for three moons. They went in a body to coyote and prayed. Oh, Coyote, get us some salmon, else our bones will cut through our skins. I will think what to do, answered Coyote. He thought and thought and thought. Then he made a boat and started down alone to the mouth of the river. When he got near the dam, he changed himself into an Indian baby tied to a papoose board. Then he lay in the bottom of the boat and floated until he was just above the dam, Just then one of the five sisters came out to the river's edge. As soon as Coyote saw her, he began to wail like a little baby. She waded in and brought the canoe to shore. Then she called to her sisters. Oh, sisters, I have found a baby. His mother must have been drowned from the canoe, and he has floated down alone. The other sisters crowded around to see him and to pinch his round little cheeks. He began to cry. Then they said, Let us give him some food. They gave him some shredded salmon, and it tasted very good to hungry Coyote. He laughed and held up his tiny hands. They laughed with him and pinched his cheeks and caressed him. Then they took him to their camp and left him alone while they went out to watch the dam. After they had disappeared, Coyote changed back to his own form. He hunted around for the key of the dam. He did not find it but he found some dried salmon and ate it. The sisters came home at sundown. They saw only the little baby on a papoose board in the corner where they had left him. When they missed their dried salmon, they exclaimed, This is strange, but did not suspect the baby. The next sunrise the sisters went to guard the dam. Coyote became himself again and again searched for the key. He did not find it, but he found and ate some more dried salmon. At night, when the sisters missed their food, they said, This is wonderful. They looked keenly at the baby on the papoose board in the corner. He smiled and cooed, Goo, goo. They smiled back and said, No, it cannot be the baby. This happened for four sons. On the fifth, Coyote found the key to the dam hanging on the knot of an elder tree. So fast did he run to the river that the earth trembled beneath his steps. The sisters sitting at the dam were shaken. This is amazing, they said. That baby must be a monster. Just then they saw Coyote in his own form running towards them. They seized clubs and fell upon him. He wriggled away and plunged into the water. He swam to the door of the dam and unlocked it. The river roared through, breaking away the whole dam in its hurry. Then the salmon swam up the river, and ever since to this day, the animals have not needed to go hungry. What funny old senoras to give a baby dried salmon, laughed Juanita. I never knew of people's giving a baby salmon. Did you, Tonio? But this was not a real baby. It was coyote, so it didn't matter what they gave him. He could eat anything. So could I now. Let's go and ask Maria for a tortilla. And with a thank you, cut. both children started for the kitchen. Why the tick is now small. Once, when Antonio was out with the herders, a wood tick got on his arm. It burrowed its head into his flesh and had to be cut out. When he returned home, Juanita was much interested in his experience. Under her sympathy, Antonio felt himself a man. They walked over to the saddle talking of it. Just look at Antonio's arm, Clayacut. He had a tick in it, and it had to be cut out boasted the little sister. A tick? Let me see. Huh, yes. It is well for you the tick is not so large as it was before Coyote conquered it, else you would not be here to show your arm. The arm was forgotten. Another story? They pleaded for it at once, and soon they were seated on the hides, and Cliacut was reciting the story as he stitched on his saddlebacks. In the ancient days, Tick was a great monster. He lived on the sheltered side of a mountain and kept large herds of deer, elk, mountain sheep, and other animals that are good for food. No matter how hungry the people in the valley might be, Tick could always satisfy himself by going out among his herds and killing a fat animal. One parching summer, Coyote was nearly starving. He thought to himself, Tick has plenty to eat, and He does no good to the animals. I will go to his house and kill him and take his herds. He toiled up the mountain and found Tick just out of the sweat house and ready for a plunge into the lake. Good morning, said Coyote. I am tired and dusty. May I have a sweat and a bath to refresh me for the rest of my journey? You may, replied Tick, if you will heat the rocks yourself. I have to take my bath. Thank you, that I will do, answered Coyote as he began to pile the stones on the smoldering fire. When the rocks were heated, he placed them in the sweat house. Then he went in and closed the door tight. "'What a strange sweat house this is,' he remarked to himself. "'It looks like the body of a big deer.' And that is just what it was. As the heat radiated from the stones, the fat on the ribs of the deer melted and dripped down. Coyote held up his mouth and caught the delicious drops." As his hunger was satisfied, he grew stronger, and he began to make his plans for killing Tick. When he was well-sweated, he ran out of the deer house and plunged into the lake. The cool bath made him feel like a new person. In his strength, he rushed to where Tick was lying in the sun. He seized him and began to choke him. Tick lay so still that soon Coyote thought he was dead and loosened his hold. Immediately, Tick jumped up, and called to all his herds to flee with him. The great deer that had formed the sweat-house shook itself, and started to run to the valley. As it fled, Tick clung to its hair and was being carried away. He laughed as he saw Coyote's look of surprise. Ha-ha! You thought to kill me by squeezing me. You ought to have had more sense. Why did you not put me on a rock and crush me with a stone? I'll still revel in the blood of your animals. Ha-ha! The taunting laugh maddened Coyote, and he cursed Tick. You will never more kill any of my animals. You shall be little and feeble. As you now cling to the deer's hair, so all the rest of your days you shall crawl around on the hair of animals. You shall suck blood, yes, but it will be in such tiny drops that you will never again grow fat. And at any time my animals may kill you with a stone." So since that day, Tick has been a little flat-crawling creature that lives by sucking blood. The animals are no longer obedient to him, for at any time they can crush him to death by sudden violence. Oh, Tonio, I'm so glad Coyote conquered him. Just think if the big Tick had taken hold of you. And Juanita gave her brother's arm a squeeze. But it didn't, said Antonio, pulling his arm loose. Cliocut, the herders say that rabbits have ticks all over them. Is that so? Who can tell? Who can tell? Ticks will go anywhere they can. As for rabbits, well, rabbits have not the best sense. Did I ever tell you the story of the jackrabbits fight with the sun? No, we've never heard it. Will you tell it to us now? Not now. I must take this all to the smithy. You come around some other time when you have nothing to do. The Subjugation of the Thunderbird One day there was a thunderstorm. At such an unusual occurrence as this, in the vicinity of San Francisco, the children were frightened. Juanita would not leave her mother's lap, and Antonio stayed close beside her. Together they said their prayers aloud. The sun was out some time before they cared to go into the courtyard. Then they sought Clayacat. Did you ever hear such noise before, Clayacat? Such awful noise? Oh, I do not mind that noise. It cannot do any harm since Coyote made the law against it. Did Coyote have anything to do with thunder? Yes, a great deal to do with it. If it had not been for Coyote, perhaps this thunder today would have killed us all. The children clasped each other's hands. Sit down on the hides, and I will tell you the story. In the early days, Thunder was a mighty bird. He lived in the high mountains, rode about on the clouds. His only pleasure seemed to be in killing the animals. If he saw a bear taking a stroll, or an eagle soaring into the heavens, he would spread out dark clouds and pour down heavy rain and wink his flashing eyes. He did not stop until his victim was quite dead. The animals became so frightened that they dared not step out of their houses. One day Coyote came along and said, What's the matter with you people? You look so frightened and hungry. Why don't you come out of your houses and hunt for food? Oh, we dare not, they replied. If we venture forth, Thunderbird pierces us with his fiery eye. Cannot you help us, O Coyote? Why, this is serious, answered Coyote. I will see what I can do. He thought and thought and thought. Then he changed himself into a tiny downy feather and floated off on the wind. He sailed until he was over the home of Thunderbird. He looked well at the troublesome giant, then came down in a whirlwind and lighted on a dry sunflower stalk right in front of Thunderbird's door. Thunderbird had been watching the feather for some time. He thought, that looks like a feather, and yet it looks like an animal. Then he sat up and took a better look at it. Probably, he said, it is only a feather that I knocked out of an owl the other day. The wind has blown it here. I will try a little rain on it and see what it will do. Then he roared in a loud tone of voice and sent down a heavy shower of rain. The feather did not move while he was doing this. When Thunderbird ceased, the feather rose in the air and began to send down rain and thunder and most awful lightning. Thunderbird was amazed to see such a tiny thing as a feather send down rain and thunder and lightning. How is this? He questioned. I thought that I was the only Thunderbird in the world. Then, feeling jealous, he cried louder, winked quicker, and sent down heavier showers. The feather replied with still fiercer thunder, keener lightning, and swifter rain, right into the very eyes of Thunderbird, and made him blink and dodge. He was angrier than ever and returned the heaviest charges that he had. Still, the feather neither blinked nor dodged but just kept on pouring out thunder and lightning and rain. Then Thunderbird flew away from his rocky home into the heavens and tried to grapple with the feather. The noise was so great and the lightning so cutting and the rain so violent that the earth beneath was torn and burned into ravines. Finally, they came together in one close grip and fell to the earth. The shock was so great that the whole world trembled. The feather came down on top, and when it struck the earth, it turned back into Coyote. He at once began to beat Thunderbird's head with his war club. Thunderbird pleaded for mercy, but Coyote kept on beating him until his club was shattered. Then he said, You may live, but no more shall people see your huge body. No more may you kill or terrify. You may thunder only in the sultry summertime. You may lightning occasionally but never more to destroy. From that day, the power of Thunderbird has been broken. He is no longer seen, and his voice and his winkings are no longer a terror to the animals. Oh, I'm so glad Coyote ever lived, sighed Juanita. I'm going to pray for him tonight, the good thing, for stopping the thunder. Just think if that awful bird could swoop down on us now. That is not the only awful bird Coyote conquered. There was the owl. He was nearly as bad as Thunderbird. The owl? I'm not afraid of an owl. And Antonio's tones betokened his bravery. I helped Santo take one out of the barn loft. Huh, an owl out of a barn loft? That's not the kind Coyote dealt with. Why, it could carry off the whole barn in one claw. Owl in a barn loft and no pleading could win another word from Kliakut on that afternoon. Still awake? If you'd like to hear more of In the Reign of Coyote, just search Audible or iTunes or Amazon for the Kindle and print editions. I'll put links in the episode description. And again, please follow, subscribe, give five stars, or let me know in any way that you enjoyed your trip.